how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. In the Mandela Effect, a man becomes obsessed with facts and events that have been collectively misremembered by thousands of people. Believing the phenomena to be the symptoms of something larger, the character's obsession eventually leads him to question reality itself. In the interview, writer-director David Guy Levy discusses why he's obsessed with big ideas in film, what it means to make a smart horror movie like Would You Rather, and how to make an audience use their imagination to fill in holes of a story. He also discusses intriguing hooks in storytelling, when to cut aspects you love, how he puts himself into the story, how to show thinking on film, and why movies are more about questions than answers. If you enjoyed this interview, join millions of viewers for the new video essay series, also called Creative Principles, on YouTube. Cinema, right? Um, I just wanted to do it since I think I first was a very young kid. And I, I think the answer I've given people is, is ever since I saw Back to the Future, but I'm not sure that's maybe the truth, but it feels like it is. I was like, just, I watched that movie and I knew that I wanted to tell stories like that. And you know, and and be a storyteller. And then I also love film. It's my favorite medium. Um, and so I grew I grew up, you know, going to film festivals when I was, you know, single digits, and getting sort of a sense of the international cinema as well. And then what I kind of like to do is tell big ideas in a sophisticated way, if I can, you know, like. I'd made this film called Would You Rather, and, I, and I've always told people my approach was to try to make it as like dry and intelligent as you could with a movie that would still be called, you know, a tortured one. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, you know, I've just always wanted to tell stories since I was very young. Do you kind of like, let's say, let's talk about Would You Rather. Do you see that as, there's so many movies today that you can almost find an audience for anything. You can make a really sophisticated horror movie, like, are you right? So you're writing for that audience. What was kind of your perspective from, from that point? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't definitely, I wasn't doing it for people who are seeking out blood and gore. You know, I was doing it for people who are seeking out ideas that just made them sort of cringe. Um, so, you know, like I, like I'd seen movies like Funny Games, uh, even films like Dog Tooth, which aren't, isn't a horror movie, but the whole time you're watching it, you can't help but just feel put off. And I love that that feeling, you know, this feeling very out of place. I watched, you know, these movies with my dad, and he was like, "I can't watch this; it's making me uneasy." I'm like, "That's the best part, you know, the feel, the feeling you get when you're just completely uneasy." And so when we were writing it, we weren't trying to be like, "Oh, you know, what special effect are we going to be doing? What, 
you know, what what blood gag, it was never about that. In fact, we were trying to our best just to be like, what moment, you know, is going to make you the most uneasy. And and that's why, like, you know, you never actually see a lot of the stuff in that movie on screen. You see the reactions of people who are seeing this stuff happen. Um, and it actually helps, too, on a low-budget movie anyways. But even if it was big budget, I would want that because, you know, what we think we're seeing is a lot more detailed than sometimes what the camera can show you. And so the imagination also fills in a lot of holes. Do you see some of these when you're trying to focus or present a big idea? Do you see them kind of as moment-to-moment films, or do you feel like by the time you're ready to present it, you've got a full story that's kind of natural or what people come to expect with the arc structure and that kind of thing? Oh, for sure. There's this, there was definitely for in, for that in that movie too. For like, there were many examples of like, oh, that would be great. But there were so many moving mecha- the pieces to the the mechanics of that story, especially because it's a game and there's people and you got to eliminate someone one at a time. And so, you know, what might look cool is like, well, how do we fit that into all the watchworks of of what we're trying to end with? You know, so uh, you know, you start with this hook. At least I start with this hook uh, that intrigues me to the project in the first place. And, and then would you rather's case that was, um, Stefan Schwachenhaufen, who is my, uh, regular collaborator. We do a lot of writing together and develop stuff all the time. And he just sent me a text message that said, what about a deadly game of would you rather where you have to do what you choose? And that was enough. I was like, all right, that's the hook. And then, you know, you sort of come up with, you know, who you would want to take that journey with, like the lead character and who you would want to be the villain. Like how you come up with those two characters and then, and then you sort of go, all right, well that, that those are the people we're following and running from and, and battling against. And then you get the fun of coming up with these secondary characters. Uh, And then, you know, you definitely have a list of moments you'd like to see, like the, the set pieces that you would love to fit into the story. And then, you know, let's say you've got 10 set pieces you really are in love with, you know, there's a good shot that you're not going to be able to fit them all in. Once you start to then go through the story structure and try to like figure out if you can fit them in, you know, in the right order. Uh, And then Mandela effect was a little similar because it's a movie of ideas uh, of, of existential ideas that, um, I was I was having, you know, just things that were in my head. And I sort of used the main character as a conduit for my own questions and my own existential dilemmas. And uh, I was going down the rabbit hole of simulation theory, and I was also very fascinated with the Mandela effect and memory. And, and how a lot of people were, you know, as I was looking at that, were attributing it to simulation theory as one of like maybe three popular opinions of what people like to theorize it could be besides false memory. Um, and um, I got to then ask those questions through a character who was going through a similar journey. Like, you know, I don't have a kid. I didn't lose a child. Uh, the main character, you know, loses his daughter in the first minute of the movie and, and he's then left with these memories of her that are then not what they he remembers them being. And so that takes him further and further down this rabbit hole. But I was going through, you know, my own sort of situation with my own 
personal reality where I was in grief and I wanted to sort of use him as a mirror to myself at moments. I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's a lot of inner monologue, you know, it's, it's got, you know, it's got sort of that, that pie or primer coherence kind of feel to it. And there's just a lot of ideas and this character who after a scene might sit back and think about what he has learned and what that might mean in his journey of his quest for knowledge. And, uh, and a lot of that was just, you know, the ideas I was having as I was going down my own rabbit hole. Um, and so then I, so then I have these moments, you know, like again, you know, and then I go, all right, well, he's going on this journey. Where is he going to end up? I think I know where I want the film to end up and what I'm trying to say with it. Um, and so then, yeah, I have these moments of like, I want him to hit on what I thought about when I came across this information or when he discovers more about string theory, what's that going to make him think? And then you try to like then sort of base the structure around those ideas because, you know, it's, it's very montage there's a lot of, of thinking and, and trying to just assess what he's been learning. Uh, so that, this was more story bowing to ideas and this time around, but last time this, the ideas kind of bowed to the story, you know? So it was a little different for the Mandela effect. Did you feel overwhelmed trying to write and create these ideas or were you more thinking about, well, I just want to present the question, not so much try and answer anything. Yeah, because, like, a lot of these questions, I don't think as humans we have the capability to even learn. You know, like, if you if you have a pet or a cat, you might, like a dog or a cat for a pet, you might look at them and be like, oh, there's some things you could never wrap your head around. And I think the same things for us is just a lot of us are, like, a little less open to, to realizing or accepting that, that we are just as dumb as the animals that we think are dumb. Um, and there's a lot of answers that, you know, I want this film to relate to a lot of people and a lot of us look at the world very differently from each other, you know? So I try to present these questions that we're all asking ourselves, but maybe I don't always present the answer because it's going to differ for each person who's watching this movie, including, you know, the people who are writing it. I'm sure Stefan who wrote the screenplay with me has different ideas of what things might mean than I do, you know, but I definitely wanted the questions in there and I wanted the questions motivating the characters. Um, and you know, there's, there's, different people who would take different things from that too. Cause like I would, I wrote the script and people would then say like, you know, like, so you're saying, so like this character, he's a coder and he has, he's lost his daughter. And then he has this idea that, well, if I, I'm a coder, I can do something, you know? Uh, and he then tries to see if he can like reset the simulation and if that's even possible. And, you know, I people read the script and they'd say, why would you do that? That's so selfish. And I was like, and then other people are like, no, it's not selfish. You know, it's wouldn't you if it's not real anyways? And like, and then it just starts a bunch of debates. And that's that's also what we were trying to do. We at the end of the day, we want people to, to stop when they're done watching this movie. You know, not even talk about the movie. Talk about the ideas it gave them, the thoughts they had. And I think this would be a, a this is good kindling for further existential discussions between friends and family or just yourself. That. You know, yeah, those answers come later, and the questions are the most interesting part of it. Tell me a little bit about, you know, without giving things away, your writing partnership logistically. Like, are you? It sounds like something where it's a lot of ideas. You're mainly kind of hashing out conversations and then getting to plot, or how, what was kind of the process like for you? Yeah, um, you know, most of the time uh, I have, I, for personally, 
uh, I, I sort of sit around a lot and just think of ideas, you know, like concepts or material that might interest me and then how to take that interest and develop a story from that. Um, and sometimes I'll go and try to write it myself. You know, I'm a member of a writing group with some friends and we all get together uh, you know, when we when we're able to, we'll try to like schedule like three months where we get together every week, and and we're all writing at the same time and going over pages, um, and then I'll just be like, oh, I'm writing myself, and I'm getting feedback every week, um, and then sometimes I'm like, you know what, this is a great concept for me, but you know, I know that this person here has a similar interest, and maybe this could be great to bounce ideas with, you know, off of each other, and. Uh, and I'll be like, hey, do you like this concept? Yeah, I like this concept. Okay, well, you know, I think we should uh, flush it out together. And then it's, you know, two months of us having coffees and, and hanging out at a bar at the end of the day and just going over, like, all the directions. Like, just last night I was working on a concept with someone. It was, like, our third meeting. And we, you know, spoke for two hours about the characters' backgrounds because, you know, once you know your characters, the story comes to you a lot easier. And, and their motivations and their histories and what's driving them. Um, and then you sort of, you know, if you're coming from the concept first, then you find, you, I, I always find that I find my characters and then, uh, you know, and if I'm working with somebody, uh, we find what excites us the most. And when it's one of us, it's a lot easier because when, if you're with someone else, because then someone say, oh, they'll wince at something you're saying, like, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> or, yeah, oh, that's right. That's maybe too on the nose. And, and it saves you from writing a whole draft of something you realize you're going down the wrong road. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, with Stefan Schlossenhaus, and I've written, like, three or four screenplays with that guy. Uh, and we'll just spend weeks mulling around character bios and, you know, different approaches to the story. Are we in the right point of view? Should we be following this character as a lead instead of this one who's we're following at the moment? And then, yeah, and then it's like, all right, well, we definitely want to see these set pieces, and now let's focus on story. Because the story, if you do that last, it's just so much easier because it basically writes itself because you know what's motivating these people already and what their goals are and what they need and what sort of change you want to see them experience throughout the story. So, you know, and and who's going to drive that change and, and, and bring it out of them, you know? So, yeah, once you know the characters really well, they just live their lives, you know? It sounds like you're kind of, you know, harnessing the power of committee on some of these things. Do you have any advice for people? I know when I was in college, so many people were scared to share their ideas, and usually because they only had like one one idea. <laughs> what, do you have any advice for those people, like to to get out there and talk and like? Oh, it's terrifying. Oh, just last night, I like, I had ideas I loved, and my friend would wince, and I'd say, Ah, oh, really? I love that idea. But you know, you, I think if you can take your ego out of the process. Let's just get a lot of farther, you know, uh, because that's the thing is like people just have such big egos, including myself. But like I, I actually try to slash it down every time I see it pop its head up because we think we know everything and we're often often we're just making poor choices. And so when you yeah, I think when you're working by committees, you can you can find ideas that might have a broader accessibility because you're not the only one trying to force something. It's like a comedian has a joke that he loves more than anything and no one ever laughs at it. Eventually he's got to let that joke go, you know, even though he's like, it's his or her favorite joke. Uh, 
and and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of duds in the writing process, and at the end of the day, you get to see like the version that looks great because we kept the ones we left, you know. But like, if I wasn't writing by committee, I would, you know, when I don't do that, I just have everyone I know and my mom read read the script, and then these these this feedback gets back to you if you're open to it. Most of the time, I see people not succeeding because they get that feedback and they just. They ignore it because they think they know better. But if you're getting the same note from a lot of people, it's often true. And if you know, if a lot of people, then if you get a note and you don't agree with it, take the note around. You know, get notes on the note. <laughs> but uh, I think you know, it's it's always ego that gets in the way of good feedback. So you got to try to just keep it put away. You know. It sounds like you've kind of been carrying this idea for a while as well. Do you have any advice for young writers and directors who maybe want to make their first film, they're obsessed with some idea they want to put into a story, just any advice you might give them to kind of make that dream a reality? For sure. Uh, and this is advice people have heard and also they don't believe, but you just got to make your movie. Uh, you know, I have never had a million dollars to make a movie. You know, Would You Rather was... 400 this was around 500 you know like these are big ideas and i didn't need a studio to say we'll make this you know because i've never gotten the job you know i don't have an agent i don't have a manager no one has ever asked to represent me so you know when you're trying to get these meetings you're not you're a lot less successful because people want to work with these agencies and these management companies and so it's a lot harder you know and the best the thing you have that they can't give you is your ideas. So, you know, would you rather was I, I produced films for about 10 years. I got out of film school and I moved here and I wanted to make, I wanted to be directing movies, but I also was waiting for someone to say, here's your turn to direct. You know, I thought like that it sort of worked that way. And, and, you know, I, I had some great experience, you know, like I got to go to festivals around the world and, and I learned stuff about film financing and distribution, but it didn't get me any closer to directing my own work, which is all I wanted to do. It's why I went to film school. And so, I, I, you know, after hearing enough people say, just keep making stuff, I realized, oh, wait, this is actually advice I'm getting. This isn't just like people telling me to keep my chin up. This is people telling me like to go make a movie, <laughs> you know, and, and. And I made, you know, even after Would You Rather, like, I didn't get a manager, I didn't get an agent, uh, I didn't get, you know, I got into maybe five pitch rooms since that movie's come out, and I've had good pitch experiences, but still, like, I've never gotten a job. And so Mandela Effect was me saying, like, I'm going to keep making stuff, you know, I'm going to go make another movie. And, and you know, you do things, like, you, t- you, you, you take risks. Like, I put my own money into this movie, I put my house up as collateral, you know, I took a loan out against my house because... I have an idea that I believe in and I don't want to die knowing I never took my shot. <laughs> so, you know, if, if people like this movie and if they're, if they're asking, if they're looking up for advice, I would say like, I'm, we're the same person. It's just, uh, you know, what are you willing to do? Are you going to sit around and wait for someone to give you, you know, control of your life or are you going to take it for yourself? And, and the more you make, the more people have to, to look at you and to look at your work and say, all right, I see maybe if you have a certain voice that I'm attracted to, you know, I'm going to tell stories in that voice and let's work together. Uh, but they can't do that unless they see your work and you have to just find an idea that you can tell 
with the tools you have at the moment, you know, which rather I had access to that location, uh, which was, you know, one room. So it's a one room movie, you know, it takes 90% of it's around the dinner table. And then you go, right, well, what kind of impression can I make with that? Uh, you know, what's the best, how can I shoot from every angle and make this as interesting as possible, even though we're around a dinner table and the Mandela effect, it's a guy thinking the whole time, you know, and, and, you know, if you don't have $30 million, you can't tell a story about car chases and, you know, big set pieces. You have to, you have to make a movie about, you know, a family and, and living in a house and the thoughts they're having. And it's the same concept. You can take the same concept in many directions. So you have to sort of let your reality, you know, shape the way you're approaching the material too. Because if you're just trying to make a movie, you have to be able to tell that story. And you can't do it if you're making a $100 million script. Um, and, you know, the first time, and also, you know, your ambition should be great, but it can't be greater than your material. Like, first time I made a feature film, it was unscripted. Uh, it was, you know, I, I, I took my, my, you know, it was like a $4,000 movie. I made this movie with two flip cameras and it was uh, unscripted. It was just because it was like literally Thanksgiving. And I, I turned to a friend and I said, let's just go make a movie over Christmas. Like, let's do this next month. And we, we had all this ambition. We were hungry to create a movie and we wanted to go make it. And that, I, I always champion that. But the thing is, we were more hungry to make a movie than we were to like really work on the material. And if you're, if you don't have material that's, that you really feel good about and you're not really behind and you really feel like it's a story worth telling, you're just wasting your time and you're wasting everyone else's because no one's going to like that. You know, you have to have great material. So you have to have an idea that you love and then you have to work and not rush that developing that idea. And you have to make sure that, and that story, you have to make sure that it's it's ready to be made. And then once it is, take that ambition. You have to go out and make a movie, and don't leave anything in the field because when you're in post and you're looking at your movie, and this will happen to everyone. There's no one who doesn't go through this. Um, you know, you're gonna look at your movie in post and be like, "What did I do? I really just screwed the pooch on this one." You know, like people. Well, never, are never happy in post. You know, you're watching a movie and you're just trying to save your movie at that point. It's sort of the feeling, that most common feeling in post. And if you left anything on the field, that's what you're going to see every time you look up at the screen. So you have to sort of make sure the material is great. Don't get ahead of yourself. And when you have that material, do whatever you can to get it made and do not like phone in one day of it because that's what you'll regret, you know? Thank you for tuning into the show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.